for a lot of organizations, a lot of the conversations came up to say, I can't believe we're not using AI. Why aren't we using AI? And to Dak's point, it's peppered throughout the entire organization, except they know it as something different. And we've never really peeled that onion back to say, that's actually AI that's doing that for you. Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. Our broadcast today comes from the most recent Meta Strategy Digital Symposium. And the topic was developing and scaling AI-led products and services. The panelists who spoke about the topic were Dak Leonarachi, the head of data and technology at NRG Energy, and Salome Compagnier, the chief digital and information officer of Cushman and Wakefield. The gentleman who led the conversation was Meta Strategy partner and central office lead, Mike Bertha. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. But first, a quick word from our partner, Cisco, and the company's vice president and chief product officer of its incubation engine, OutShift, Poppy Menon. Poppy wanted to share how he and his team are building solutions to help organizations secure their cloud infrastructures. Poppy, over to you. Within OutShift, we have a multi-cloud defense suite. Panoptica, the product that we are talking about, it's a full cloud-native application protection platform, and it works very well with other products in the Cisco security and observability portfolio, where insights from Panoptica are fed into those products and help inform your cloud-native security. One of the biggest advantages with the Panoptica product is this ability to visualize your attack path. For any enterprise operating at non-trivial scale, your cloud infrastructure will have thousands, if not tens of thousands of vulnerabilities. This is just going to be the way things are, but that's not actionable. When you have 10,000 vulnerabilities, you don't know what to do about them. What Panoptica allows you to do is to take that and distill it down and say, of the thousands of vulnerabilities that you have out there, which of them should you pay attention to because they form part of a credible attack path that can compromise one of your critical assets? It makes it actionable and we call it prioritize with precision. So it really helps you prioritize the things that matter based on the credible threat that they pose. And now on to the interview. Given the narrative today in, in the industry, I don't think the topic of using generative AI to develop product and services needs too much of, of an introduction. And, and just because there's hype though, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy to move fast and there's not a, a ton of challenging questions you, you encounter uh, along the journey. So, so for this panel, we brought in two digital and technology leaders that could weigh in on how they're thinking about generative AI within their own organizations and AI in general, and also share how they're thinking about some of the tough questions that they've encountered in, in their firms. So our, our first panelist is Sal Campania, she is the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Cushman & Wakefield, the commercial real estate firm with revenues in excess of $10 billion in, in 2022. Um, Sal, it's so great to see you, and I'm happy you're able to make this work today. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. And then to round out our panel, we have Dak Leonarachi, the Chief Data and Technology Officer at NRG Energy the $30 billion producer of energy and provider of retail electricity based out of Houston. And, and prior to joining NRG, Dak served as the chief data and analytics officer at Hilton Worldwide. Dak, great to have you on the virtual stage. Thank you, Mike. Glad to be here. All right, great. So on the topic of building products and services, Sal, I think if it's okay with you, I'm going to start with you. And Given you know you have a really interesting business at Cushman and Wakefield, you have a, a services and advisory side of the business, and cutting across 
those two business segments, you have a, a lot of asset classes, whether it be multifamily, industrial, um, commercial. I'm wondering if you could kick us off and tell us a little bit about what are some of the AI-led products and services you have in the works at Cushman? Sure. I thought it'd be helpful to give everybody a little background around the differentiation between advisory and services. For those that don't know, Cushman Wakefield has the honor of servicing our clients globally and following the real estate life cycle. So from identification of assets to the capital markets components of sale of assets to servicing of assets to lease administration, et cetera, we cover the entire gamut, which means for our business, we have categories of services that we provide or products that we generate for our clients. And as our technology organization, what we're armed to do is to enable digitization of the workflow through and through while we capture the data and the data assets that generate the most insights for our clients to make the best commercial real estate decisions. As I'm sure everybody on the call can attest to, it's not exactly uh, back to normal post-COVID for commercial real estate in particular. And so it's really important to have the best data sets, forecasting data, implication of weather patterns, et cetera, to come into the mix as you think about how are you going to identify your next asset base? Where are you going to move? Where should your distribution centers be placed, et cetera? So our team has formulated our AI task force. We'd been on our digitization journey for quite some time, and we had pivoted to product-minded organization structure about 18 months ago. So what we were primed to do is have proximity to the business, which is critical in our ability to decipher what to do first and how to prioritize the hundreds of use cases that were coming into the business. So our task force was multidisciplined in nature. Um, from the get-go, we included legal, cyber, procurement, um, the product teams, the business leadership, et cetera to make sure that we were really thinking about the value we can drive for our client and making sure the insights that we were enabling were unique to this particular product tools versus translating insights that already existed into conversational sets. We were concentrating on prioritizing, generating new insights and generating new product capabilities for our colleagues. So on the advisory side, we have a phenomenal research organization and we have some of the best data around commercial assets through the different asset classes in the, in the world. And the reality is that data is internally and from a consumption perspective, a mixture of structured, unstructured, local to a brokerage team or from an enterprise perspective. And so the aggregation of that usually includes a number of shoulder taps, a number of searches, a number of aggregated reports being pulled together and then generating insights for the colleagues. What we're working through is the time to insight, if you will, to be reduced significantly. And the time to insight and that information that we can provide our clients will resonate with them to deliver the best commercial real estate outcome for their portfolio. So the aggregation of those data sets, be it our data, our proprietary data, plus external available data, plus unstructured data within our research reports, all coming together and a voice activated conversation with our brokers and our clients is something that we're striving for and we are well underway. Like I said, a lot of the criticality and our ability to succeed in this area was resonated on the fact that we actually had the proximity to the business. So we knew exactly what the questions would be that our brokerage teams would best have at their fingertips. We also have access to their input and their ability to fast fail on some of the thinking that we had. 
So on the advisory side, we're working through that insights component. On the services side, we have our colleagues distributed into thousands of properties from multifamily buildings to commercial real estate buildings. Our colleagues are there to deliver the best of Cushman and the best of the platform to our clients. And in order to do so, we want to make sure that they all have access to the same amount of information, the same insights around who the supplier base is in their geo, who the best partners would be to bring in from a maintenance perspective, what's happening in their talent position, what's happening in their workforce, how are learning conditions happening, what's the safety records, et cetera. So taking into account all of that information, which is, again, a mixture of structured, unstructured community practices, learning content, et cetera, we're working to bring that to life to all of our property managers. And it will transform a population who struggles to work in a highly matrixed, highly globalized, diversified organization to get quick touch to the insights to deliver the best outcome for their clients. And that entire methodology and the way we deliver that insight is being transformed with generative AI. But it's not just generative AI, it's the aggregation of digital process optimization plus AI plus data modeling plus generative all together. So generative became a new tool in the tool belt for the final last mile of how we render some of that information for our colleagues, but it's not the entire tech suite, obviously, for how we deliver that. So those are some of the some of the top ways that we're thinking about it. Um, we're actively reviewing about 200 use cases globally. Um, the use case proposition and evaluation process has been standardized throughout the team within our AI task force. And it's allowing us to really anchor ourselves on client value and differentiation in the market. Albeit, there are plenty of use cases for optimization of work internally that are getting diversified and delivered through our Govern Citizen Development Program. So we don't want to single thread ourselves at all, but we're definitely active across the board um, for what we consider to be our proprietary launch language models, what we partner with our providers like Workday, Salesforce, et cetera, to deliver within their tool sets, and then what we think are common throughout the enterprise, but could be a low code methodology to be delivered through our governance and development team. Great. Your insight on eliminating the shoulder taps in the process and, and accelerating the time to insight. I was talking to a, a technology uh, leader at a, a big tech company, and they said, one of the things about generative AI is that it's risen all the way to the user interface now. And now the traditional SDLC, as we know it, yeah. requirements handed to a data analyst, handed to a visualization analyst, and all the steps that it takes to get to that insight have been collapsed into this one user interface. So I think that that's great. And, and, and with your mention of, of tools and the various tools in your ecosystem, I think I'll turn to you, Dak. Among the challenges that are being encountered that, that we've witnessed the most is which model for which use case? How do you marry the right model to the right use case? You could build your own. Um, you could go with a niche provider. You could go to one of the hyperscalers. Maybe I'll just ask broadly, how do you think about this ecosystem to get us started? Yeah, and just, um, it's an interesting question. And, and just to give you the team context of NRG and in this world of AI, if you think about it, you know, we have 11 brands that go from smart home through to HVAC service, through to, to our retail energy business, through to our hedging teams, through to our generation where we generate from power plants and things like that. So if you put all of that together and go, where should we use AI? Everybody starts to think, how do I do it? 
we've actually spent quite a bit of time in terms of educating the organization. So we do IQ sessions across the organization to say, what is AI? And actually we do AI, probably all of our organizations do in terms of machine learning and deep learning. And now we're talking more about generative AI. We also have an AI center of excellence because anything we do, we have to do with purpose because we could get into a tailspin of everybody wants to do their own thing. And to your point, you build it, you get a partner. In fact, then we'll have 200 partners that are trying to do a little bit of something in the organization. So we've taken a, a step back. We've built out an AI center of excellence. And that is across the organization. So that's across all of our different business units to understand what we do today and what value we're trying to generate. For example, we have generative AI chatbots that are either consumer-facing or internal-facing for some of our service needs. We would say focus, start with the customer. So there's a lot of use cases that we can look at from a customer contact center, making that experience easier, better, both for the customer and the, the agent. And there's probably hyperscalers that already do a lot of that, and that can accelerate it. But as we think about the value chain, you know, where the value chain is everything from generating a, an electron in a plant all the way through to getting it to a home, and then thinking about what that means in terms of demand, that's quite complex through our value chain. And I think we have to be more agile as we think about what are the things that we're trying to change. So those are the areas where we have Maybe high change management, really understanding our business and what pull, what levers to pull to make a difference. That we will we will use our own teams to do that. So that that's how we think about it. Now, the one thing I would say as we learn is, I'm lucky that I have the data organization and the the IT organization, and uh, and you see the kind of pull, the the kind of strains that happen. You know, if you ask the pure data guys, they want all data together and you, then you go, but we can't afford it. What's the business value of doing that? What we're seeing as we start to use different techniques and various models is the same inputs can generate different outputs, which is a little scary in our own. So unless we understand our business, we need to be really close to that as we think about those outputs. We're really focusing a little bit more on cost versus value. We can have all the data in the world in a data lake and governed, but actually, is that the right thing? Will it generate the value we want, or should we think smaller and generate equal value or nearly as much value without going through all of that pain? And so we are actually looking at how do we, a bit like microservices, of moving things around. So where should we think about training models? And, and probably the cloud is the right place, and, and you know, we'll get a lot of support with the the hyperscalers around training models. But as we think about production, we're actually thinking about how do we break that up and maybe bring some of that back on-prem because it's more cost-effective to do that. To answer your question, it's quite a multi-layered answer because you really have to think strategically about what the value is and which component part you're trying to build as a proprietary versus something off the shelf versus the value and where do you create that value? Is it on-prem or is it in the cloud? Interesting. I think you know you and Sal and, and the previous panel all echoing that generative AI, one of many tools in the toolbox. Not you know not to forget the the, the business case equation that we always need to look at with whatever we're we're moving towards. And and you know as a generalization, noting we're just on on a panel here. Um, 
going from the, the formation of the electricity all the way to the home. That's inherently complex and there's a lot of steps. And whether it's dedicating more resources or doing things more custom, the more core and more complex something might be or unique to your industry might be the scenarios where you lean a little towards the sp spectrum of doing a little bit more um, on your own, but, but not forgetting the, the costs of, of maintaining and operating these models in, in, in production. I love that. So Al, I, I think I'll, I'll come back to you now. In this environment where headlines are seemingly outpacing adoption, I, I think it's easy to forget the realities of, of execution. And those are left out of the, the news clippings, all the challenges that happen uh, behind the scenes. But I think this audience knows very well that they exist. And, and I'm wondering if you could comment on what are some of the, the biggest execution challenges that are generally left out of the news that, that you're living in and how are you tackling them? And how would you maybe advise uh, the rest of the participants on how to go about them? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's no shortage of them. Uh, so I'll start with the first is, Doc mentioned it as well, is just education. There is a fundamental lack of understanding and candidly as technologists, I'll speak for myself, we're really great at delivering the technology. Sometimes our storytelling and impact and ability to translate that to the business um, at every layer of the technology organization has been lacking. And so for a lot of organizations, a lot of the conversations came up to say, I can't believe we're not using AI. Why aren't we using AI? And to Dax's point, it's peppered throughout the entire organization, except they know it as something different. And we've never really peeled that onion back to say, that's actually AI that, that's doing that for you. Um, you know, We've reduced the time to onboard from a technology standpoint by 84% using AI. We just tell them it's been reduced. We didn't say the exact technology that we used to do that. So a lot of it is the foundational level of, tech, of education. And then the secondary component for, for us has been just the tacticalities of the commercials, right? So to everybody's point, it's really important to keep the business case in mind from a run rate perspective, from when you bring in partners, what's the IP look like when you're getting support for build? What's the commercials of the tools themselves looking like? The financial modeling of run rate is nuanced at best. And so understanding how many data packets you're talking about, what are you talking about for, where are you to Dax point, where are you hosting, what kind of um, legal components do you need to go through? Legal teams are just coming up to speed on what are the nuances of these agreements with some of these up and coming technologies that are VC backed phenomenal technologies, maybe not completely ready for enterprise, but we want to tinker. And so in those areas where we're partnering, um, there's a lot of education from a legal perspective and making sure that we have we strike a balance, right? There's always going to have to be a balance, and especially in these new te technologies that are coming to bear. And then the, the last component that I would touch on is broadly talent. So we talked about educating around what the differentials are in generative AI and also unpacking the hype right? So when you see a press release, what does it actually mean? Um, is it actually backed by intent and content? Is it is it a press release to be a press release? Like there's a lot of education, especially on the business development side of the house to make sure that they're educating their clients the best that they can as well. But from a talent perspective, you run the gamut of pure excitement to do what they can to make an impact to fear that their roles are going to be impacted. And Candidly, over time, roles will be impacted to an extent, as Amy was alluding to as well. 
I think partnership with HR, partnership with your talent department, and really starting to look at what are the priorities of the outcomes and products that we're going to be delivering? What is the impact to the roles that currently are part of that data or shoulder tap supply chain? It's not an elimination of those roles, but they will be different. So what does that mean to the role profile? What does that mean to the way we onboard and educate? All of these things are components to getting this right and genuinely a piece of the puzzle um, throughout your entire digital ecosystem. And it's important for you to start thinking about those now and start to lay out the foundation of what those could look like so that you're not caught off guard by surprise. But those are, to me, some of the barriers that we face. It's the education of the employee population of what you already have versus what's coming. It's the education from a where do we think the future is going from an industry perspective but it's also the education to HR and the talent teams around what do we think the impact is going to be. And underpinning all of this is just organizational change management, right? So there's going to be a behavioral change. There's going to be a opportunity change. There might be new products that come out that are actual digital products in and of themselves. And all of these are things that you have to educate and drive through a very cohesive change management practice for um, to be able to get the impact that you think you can get. Right. Yes. Ironically, with all of the fear uh, about this technology replacing jobs, there's many others that think that people will actually be the limiting factor to scaling AI. And so the skills and and the change management and getting opportunities for people, especially non-technologists, to get their hands on the machine can really change uh, their understanding and, and understanding the overall value proposition. Dak, going back over to you, um, you mentioned a little bit about the the value chain, all the way from creating the energy, all the way till it's delivered into to one of our homes. What role do you see AI and generative AI, if if, if that makes sense, really shaping the the energy industry? And are there particular use cases that uh, are exciting you and and your colleagues at NRG? If we look at traditional utilities and, and the sector. We look at it from the supply side. So how do we supply energy to the grid? But actually with AI and technology in the home, we can spend more time on the demand side, which I think is really, really exciting. So this year we bought a smart home company um, of 2 million customers. Now, if you think about that, we now have a connected platform in the home with a lot of data signals of what is happening in the home And then you could also put into that, for example, energy consumption data. So you're now looking at, even at the, you know, the more sophisticated levels of maybe some of the things we do today, thermostat interaction with actual consumption and pricing will drive a much better transparency for the customer or the household in terms of what are the dynamics that are impacting that. Now, if you think about using that in terms of, controlling demand or helping consumers control demand, but also know what the impact is in terms of the actual cost to them or the, the benefit to them. I think that's that's the next step. But then you'd look at it from a perspective of what about backup batteries in the home? What about solar? And if you if you have AI that can really start to manage your home, for example, when it's good for renewables, you renewable power. When it's peak time on the grid and prices are expensive, use battery power, use your battery backup. When it's overnight, when prices are cheap, 
now refill the batteries. And you can start seeing an ecosystem where your home suddenly starts helping you manage it, manage your consumption. So that's, there's kind of a really a win-win-win there, which is really exciting. You know, you've got a win for the consumer because they're getting value. So there's a win for the grid and the utilities. But also from an environmental perspective, that's good as well because you're leveraging the renewables and the combinations to make it more of a sustainable world. So I think that's what really excites me as we think about AI and connecting the two parts of demand and supply around the home and the generation. Right. Yeah, shining light on some really uh, interesting use cases that benefit the consumer, but allow you to advance your agendas on ESG and other related topics as well. They're very well said. And so maybe both of you, as we close out here, there's the FOMO that happens in the boardroom and which inevitably plays a role in those endless lists of use cases that, that could easily send you into a tailspin without proper governance. So it begs the question, how do you balance innovation and risk? So maybe as we close, any advice the two of you would share with the rest of our participants? Sal, maybe you first. Yeah, I would say in general, stay focused on the value proposition. Stay focused. It's 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 a really interesting time to be technology leaders. There is a lot of hype. There's a lot of demand and pull on generative AI in particular, but just stay focused and communicate what you are doing and why you're not doing other things so that their value proposition is well understood. Well said. Yeah, I totally concur with what Sam said. And then the other thing we've done, you know, not to be the Debbie Downer is, created an AI policy. So how should we use AI? That's rolled out right across our 15,000 employees. And it's part of our code of conduct in terms of what do we do? How do we use it? How do our suppliers uh, or our vendor partners, how should they look at it? What are the things we ask of them? So it's, it's truly exciting about the value that we can create out of it. But what we don't want is sensitive data going out into the public domain where you know it's great for all these enthusiasts to try chat GPT, or just take a bit of data and try it out. So we have put that into our code of conduct that says, hey, we're not we're not trying to restrict innovation, but we want to do it in a purposeful way and in a way that we all feel comfortable that we're doing no harm to our company or our customers. Well said. Well, Sal and, and Dak, it's always a, a huge pleasure to, to speak with you. Thank you for, for joining today. Everyone uh, really enjoyed your insights. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Mike.